I, I absolutely do. So today we have a very special guest. Um, as I mentioned earlier, he is probably one of the most humble but yet busiest person on the entirety of LinkedIn because you're going to find him there day and night. Um, in addition to, you know, running his company Elevate IQ, which fo focuses mostly on the ERP space, he is running WBS Rocks, the WBS podcast. He's got a couple of weekly streams. I mean, the man is a super connector, and we will talk more about that later. But without further ado, uh, Sam Gupta, welcome to uh, welcome to episode 22 of Manufacturing Hub. Hey, guys. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I am super excited to talk to your uh, fun listeners. By the way, a lot of people might disagree with you on your comment related to me being busiest because they are going to see me everywhere. So they are going to assume that I don't have anything else to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm probably not the busiest person. Okay, guys, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. No, Absolutely, appreciate the time. Sam. Yes, thank you. And so can, can we, we jump off? Um, I, I absolutely, we absolutely want to talk about everything you're doing with WBS, but you, you're one of the first people that we've brought on who focuses mostly on the ERP level. So can you give our listeners, maybe people who haven't been aware of that, a little bit of overview of what that is and what you guys do and maybe kind of your path to getting the company to where you guys are right now? Happy to. So let's say if your listeners are not really familiar with what an ERP is uh, or what ERP does, mm -hmm. but most people involved in the manufacturing space, they are going to touch ERP in some shape or form. ERP stands for Enterprise Resource Planning. There are three aspects and those three keywords are going to be equally important. Number one uh, aspect is the enterprise. And the way I like to think of the enterprise is going to be the integrated view of the organization. That's how I like to think. So for example, you might have many different systems in the organization. Those could be your accounting system. It could be your isolated system, such as your CMMS system uh, or the asset management system, or you may have an MES, but that's not an ERP. An ERP is supposed to be providing you the holistic view of the organization. And it is supposed to be doing everything that you need to do from the operations perspective, also from the finance perspective. It also does a lot of things from the sales perspective, from planning, from the manufacturing floor, but the primary responsibility of an ERP system is going to be really the operations and finance. So mm -hmm. the other definition of ERP is going to be, it's supposed to be the financial glue of the organization. It connects every single department and the function and the business process where dollars are going to be involved. Again, I'm trying to emphasize here. Okay, when you talk about dollar, you talk about inventory, you talk about assets, wherever you are going to have dollars touching your organization, your ERP should be connected to that specific aspect of your business. Now, going back to your question about, you know, what we do in the ERP space and my personal journey. Uh, we are, uh, we do a lot of different things, uh, you know, from the business perspective, we get involved in the pre-ERP phase and typically pre-ERP phase is going to be equally important 
as your post ERP phase. So typically what you are doing in the pre ERP phase is going to be, it's going to be simplifying your business process. Because if you are going to put everything as you have as of today, it's probably going to be garbage in, garbage out. And I'm mm -hmm. sure this is not the first time you have heard this in any of these systems, right? So in case of ERP, this is going to be slightly more critical just because it's about your core business processes. It's about the financial and business rules. So once you actually implement all of your processes as is, it's going to be super difficult. So we get involved in the selection, in the simplifying, in the streamline, uh, and then we also get involved in the, the actual implementation. So we have the end-to-end -end capabilities overall from the ERP perspective. And by the way, I like to call this ERP, but the most of the engagement that we have, they are going to have at least five to 10 different systems. And our role is going to be to define the enterprise architecture, to define the business architecture, and to make sure that every system is trying to do its job, it's not overdoing it. Now, my personal journey, my personal journey, I have been in the uh, ERP space for roughly, what, 20 years? Okay, I grew up in a very manufacturing and distribution-centric environment, followed by consulting in Fortune 500 world for, what, 10 years, and then got involved in a lot of, uh, you know, startups, uh, did a lot of different crazy things, failed big time with all of those startups, and then finally figured out that my core was really in the ERP manufacturing distribution, and that's what we started roughly five years uh, back. Uh, elevate IQ. And as you know, WBS Rocks community is fairly new. Uh, this is really because of COVID, to be honest. Before that, we were super busy. We just didn't have any time for, for anything else. And that's why you didn't see us uh, you know, in the market. But COVID was a hard lesson for us. So we had to create something very unique. And that's what is WBS Rocks. That is a, that's that's amazing, a great... Sam coverage yeah absolutely i think there's a lot of different tangents uh that we can go from there but i still want to i guess like understand erp at the core right so i think you've yeah. given us a very good overview and um what i'm trying to understand still is what does it like typically look like right so you go to a company and you've you said there's like for example cmms systems there's going to be accounting practices what can let's say an individual go and open let's say i'm assuming it probably works uh, at this time like in a browser so you can access some data you can view some metrics you also probably have to input some data right so i'm trying to understand does that data get pulled in from other things and does that data get entered manually like what does that like process look like for the erp yeah, so since your audience is slightly more technical, I think they would appreciate if I were slightly more technical as well. And yep. I would I would I would try to do that. Okay. So when you look at the ERP, first I am going to touch on a point that you mentioned. Okay, if I want to see an ERP in the organization, how do I see it? How uh, how does it feel when I look at the ERP, right? So one of the things that you need to under understand is 90% of the companies in the market they don't really know how to utilize the ERP well, okay? So when you are going to see an ERP in the organization, that's not the right state that you wanna see in an ERP because it's just something. Uh, it's not the, the ideal state of the ERP system, the way ERP is supposed to be implemented, the way they are supposed to be adopted, the way they are supposed to be used inside an organization. Now, let me give you some quick overview technically in terms of what a real ERP is. So in case of an ERP, what happens is every single screen that you have. 
So yes, it can be accessed on in, in the browser. Now, a, a lot of systems are cloud-based. Even if they are not cloud-based, you can access them in your browser. It's going to be similar to your Facebook, but it's not designed to be a Facebook, okay? It's very different because it has millions and millions of business rules. And those are going to be your accounting rules. Those are going to be your planning rules. Those are going to be your inventory rules. So anytime you are going to process a transaction, you are going to get tons and tons of errors. And that's why people hate ERP because they just struggle to use it because it just feels as if it's so hard to use. But the reason why it is so hard to use is because it is supposed to be providing the necessary financial control that your organization needs. Now, going back to the technical explanation of the ERP. So each screen that you are going to see on the ERP is actually a database object, okay? And that can be changed to whatever you want. And the reason why it is done this way is because when you talk about the investor funded companies, they are going to worry about the SOX compliance. They are going to worry about the individual accountability. So anytime you are going to see a screen, uh, the way your salesperson uses the ERP is very different from how uh, an engineer is going to use, then how your executive is going to use, then how the warehouse person is going to use. So these roles and profiles and the, the, the segregation of responsibilities is the right term. That is the most complex part, in my opinion, of the ERP, because if you look at a plain app, okay, if you are trying to access LinkedIn on your, on your browser, LinkedIn is not as complex because it's still an app. Each of these screen is not necessarily a database object, but in case of an ERP, it's almost a pl like a platform. Okay, and it's a very controlled platform where you can change anything and everything related to each of the screen in most ERP systems. And then you can control based on a very hierarchical user access that you need from the SOX compliance perspective. I don't know if that answers your question. No, definitely, definitely. Um, and so the follow-up to that, do you see like in the perfect world scenario, and I guess like in general also, would you see that every person of an organization should have access to an ERP to some extent? Or is it, you know, as you mentioned, if it's more centered towards like accounting principles and financials, maybe it is aimed towards, you know, like upper management, or do you see maybe opportunities for, uh, you know, plant floor personnel? Like you've also mentioned, you know, warehouse people keeping track of inventory. So there's a lot of different features. So do you see it as a holistic system or do you really see it at the upper level? So uh, in case of an ERP, you are going to require some of the master data element, and that is going to be your products. They are going to be your customers and vendors. And as soon as you are going to introduce another system, for example, let's say if you are using e-commerce system, you are using WMS system, you are using your CMMS system, you are using your MES system, all of these systems are also going to require the same product. Now, if you are going to maintain your items or products in two different systems, you are going to run into a lot of different integration challenges. Mm -hmm. It's just harder to maintain and you guys are technical, right? So I don't have to explain the kind of challenges you are going to run into in reconciling the data. So if you are going to use a lot more systems, for example, let's say if you say that ERP systems are complex to use. So what I'm going to do is I am going to give them one system for each of the department that is probably going to be customized to their needs. It is probably going to be simple, but then how are you going to integrate it? How are you going to have that centralized state that you need from your customer perspective, from your product perspective? Because if you don't have that, your planning is not gonna work. 
your scheduling is not right. going to work your you are not going to have centralized state of the inventory so in the ideal state okay if the erp is implemented really well you want to have just one system okay unless you right. have millions of dollars uh, for the enterprises they have millions of dollars they can afford to do that integration okay but integration is always always patchy it never works the way you really want so the the less number of systems that you have in your environment the less expensive it is going to be but it's always not going to be possible because in let's say if you look at the manufacturing environment you probably need a mes system okay because your default mes that actually comes with the erp is probably going to fall short okay because it's not going to meet the shop floor needs uh, now depending upon which erp system you are using what we have seen is you know sometimes manufacturing companies will use distribution centric erp system and they are completely different from the planning perspective the way their products look it just they are different but sometimes you know people are just going to oversell it going to over implement it going to over engineer it just because they don't understand how manufacturing organization is going to be different from the other uh, businesses even in case of manufacturing there are nuances for example let's say if you talk about the sheet metal industry okay it's a very different industry when you talk about food manufacturing industry it's a very different industry when you talk about any of the machine shops in case of machine shops as well let's say if you are producing more of the bigger uh, you know uh, products that could be completely different than producing your widgets now your plastic manufacturing is going to be very different from uh, you know any other manufacturing that you will so there are a lot of nuances is what i can tell you uh, overall when it comes to selecting the right business processes for the erp system and implementing it in the right manner in most cases people just don't understand that they just over implemented and that's why everybody just hates it because it doesn't work right. for them <laughs> and so i'm assuming i guess like to solve the challenge of having multiple systems the approach is probably they have apis right that they can call between themselves and there's multiple databases trying to pass you know like you said like different calls being made or different again like orders being placed and so everything kind of crumbles as you get more data or something scales differently so that's kind of um i guess the approach that you see in the in the industry like you have multiple systems and they all try and kind of mesh them together and make it work So API is a term designed for sales people to make it easy so that they can explain how sure. integration works between two systems to be honest okay and mm-hmm. if you are going to ask this question hey can the system talk to the other system they are going to say hey i've got api we can talk to every single <laughs> system that's right <laughs> plug in we've got apis but apis are supposed to be just the face of the system okay it's not integrated unless you are talking about pre baked integration okay then you are going to have the integration that you are going to get uh, out of the box but you are a programmer bled yourself when you write a program what you need to do is you need to know about each and every line that you have to write in your program if you don't know that if those requirements are not defined you cannot write the program you cannot test the program either right now the biggest problem with manufacturing organizations if you go to any manufacturing shop okay they just don't know their own business okay right. they they just don't know their own requirements in fact there was a comment in one of the podcasts that we did recently that 40% of the business processes that you might have that nobody will have any clue on 
okay <laughs> they will just not know what is happening inside the organization so the only insight they are going to have is going to be 60% and by the way in that 60% is what your sales department knows your operations department does not know what your operations department knows your accounting department does not know so i am actually going to mention one of the episodes that we did with a guy called uh, charles rich and i'm pretty sure you guys are Uh, connected with him he's a very influential guy uh, in the manufacturing community he has done six implementations okay six erp implementations and one of the things that he did in six obviously the first and second failed okay that's given in any erp when you are doing your first or second you just don't know what you are doing most likely it is going to fail okay <laughs> so in the sixth implementation for nine months the only thing that they they did is they just brought the entire company together okay and they simply discussed the process and drew the flow diagram for 9 months can you believe this and the comment that he made during the episode is they had no clue what was happening in the business just because of those meetings they came to know so much and it is it is going to be so many different things from you know how your transactions are processed because in case of an erp you need to go at the line level detail and that's then only we can program as programmers right <laughs> I want to expand a little bit on that Sam. I think it's uh it'd be maybe very interesting to talk about the process that you take in order to figure out, you know, what's the right solution for a customer. You know, obviously I'm assuming at first you have to understand their business, but that process is not as straightforward as you just mentioned, right? Like it can take months upon months to try and understand their business very well before you can start the implementation phase. So I'm curious you know like from your perspective again what does what do those steps look like during an engagement yeah so uh, now if i look at the i don't know which process you are talking about are you talking about more of the selection process or are you talking about the business process that erp supports and figuring out which are going to be the right system for those specific process can you well, clarify I that i guess um, maybe let's start with a business approaches you right to yeah. kind of audit their current system and propose yeah. maybe solutions. And let's take the example, you know, that we discussed a little bit earlier where they have multiple systems, they're getting issues with, you know, communicating between the um again, the different vendors, the data is not correct and different departments are maybe complaining that they're not getting the information right. So they approach you and they're like, "Hey, well, how can we solve some of these challenges? Like what are the steps for you to take to figure out the solution and then implement it obviously?" yeah so depending upon the business i would say you know some businesses are slightly more prepared so for example if i go back to the business that i was talking about of charles mm-hmm. in their case they had spent 9 months they had uh, you know experience of six different erps implementing by themselves so their uh, the expertise level and the skill level is going to be very different so in their case i can take those requirements as is i can make my expert commentary that okay based on these requirements okay this system is not going to be fit because it's going to require this much custom development this much configuration and then it's going to be you know more expensive than some of the other erp systems that can do a lot of these things out of the box okay so in this specific case they had the requirements at a very deep level now let me give you another example of another business okay so some people think that you know what i can find these rfp template online and i can <laughs> i can write these requirements okay so here is how the requirements look when you uh, look at those rfp templates so i had one business approach me and they actually wanted to select an erp system 
Now they have roughly four different divisions. They are more into apparel manufacturing and they are like, you know what? Uh, we don't need consultants. Um, you know, we have already done our requirements. We have already researched a lot and the requirements are already done. The only thing I already know which system I want. Okay, so this is the name and I simply want implementation help on that system. So now I said, okay, so you have the requirements. Why don't you send those to me? So let us review those requirements first, you know, how well they are done and if they are in a state to be able to recommend which system you are going to be using, okay? So in their requirement, they have roughly what, 500 different requirements in different business functions and their requirements were like, number one requirement, accounts payable. <laughs> requirements number two, accounts receivable. Requirements number three, general ledger. Now, do you understand what problem ah. I'm trying to say here? Ah. <laughs> there are ah. software available just to do your AR, AP. Mm -hmm. These are modules. Of, and these guys are saying, hey, you want on? I just need AR. I just need AP. I, and, and you know what? As long as you confirm that the software supports AR or AP, the software is going to be fit for my need. Here's the problem. As the I'm not a sales guy. I'm the implementation guy. If I need to implement, I need to understand these requirements at a much deeper level. And I need to make sure that the account payable needs that you are going to have are going to met by the software that I am trying to recommend. So now to dig into that, now what I need to do is I need to look at their invoice. When they say account payable, mm -hmm. I'm going to ask them, okay, why don't you show how your invoice looks? Okay, then I am going to look at how your products are structured because based on that, I am going to decide because each of the, when I'm talking about these industries, right? Uh, these industries differ overall in terms of the requirement. For example, let's say if you look at uh, some of the industrial automation uh, customer, for example, any of the, your machinery manufacturers, the line items that they are going to have on the invoice, as well as your purchase order, and the sales order, they are going to be very different from somebody who's simply selling popcorns. Sure. Even though they are, <laughs> they are also the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. So now the popcorn manufacturer is going to say, you know what, I need account payable. My machinery manufacturer is going to say, I need account payable. Do you guys really believe that the account payable need for these two businesses are going to be same? There's no way in the hell. Okay, <laughs> and a system designed for popcorn manufacturing can never work for the machinery manufacturer. Okay, and the same thing goes for the, if a system is going to be designed for the machinery manufacturing, it might not work for the popcorn manufacturing because there are always going to be those nuances of each specific business. So when you talk about these requirements, we need to look at how their products are really structured, how they are related with the interaction or the transaction that they might be performing. And that's the implementation inside. If I were the salesperson, I would say, all right, you need AP, check. You need AR, check. <laughs> Done, the system is sold. I made my commission, I move on. You are never going to see me. <laughs> Sam, we have a good question based on that point. Very good question in the comments. And I'm wondering the same thing. So how do you handle the variations within the same company at different sites? So this has been a challenge in terms of creating a common platform, staying away from customization. So, right. So I like your example, you know, of uh, in different industries, there's going to be variations, right? And you cannot apply the same platform, 
but also within companies at different sites, you may have like different stages of growth. You also have companies like as an example, let's say, um, you know, I've worked for Procter and Gamble, right? And they yeah. have products that are vastly different from one another products that are sold in different countries, products that have like different like marketing schemes. So it's, it's a very, um, I guess like varied space. How do you handle those variations? So I love the way that you are thinking, to be honest, because that's where the complexity is. And that's where a lot of ERP implementations fail. Because when you look at this multi-entity business, when you are going to have multiple sites, when you are going to have different branches of your companies and their business models are going to be completely different. The product they, they might be selling might be completely different. The manufacturing process that they might have might be completely different. So there is going to be an analysis in terms of what exactly are you sharing in those sites and how similar those business models are and how different they are going to be overall from the production process perspective, also from the business model perspective. So we, again, we, so when you are talking about this specific scenario, in this case, when you have the account payable of the company one, account payable of company two, in this particular case, you might have completely different account payable requirement in your business model one, in your business model two. So you need to figure out an ERP if you are trying to get that centralized state of the entire company which would mean that your sites, your facilities are going to be completely connected and one platform should be able to process all of the very needs that you are going to have across your sites, across your facilities. So you need to figure out, you need to analyze all of your sites. You need to analyze how their products are structured, how their products are related. And by the way, it gets far more complex than this because what you need to do is you need to figure out, okay, if you might have common vendors, you might have your corporate purchasing agreements, okay? And right. if you are not thinking about that, then obviously you are not gonna get discounts because the vendor one that you have in your, let's say the site one, that's a completely different vendor from the system perspective. Even though in real life, you are still talking to, let's say if you are selling to Rockwell, you are still uh, you know, talking to Rockwell in this system, Rockwell in this system. But from the system perspective, those two are not really connected. So you cannot really get the advantage of, let's say the volume agreement. So this is where the problem is. In uh, If you look at most of these small to medium-sized businesses, they don't really plan at the multi-site level. Mm -hmm. So what you need to do is when you are doing the ERP implementation, you need to figure out, okay, when you have your SKU, okay, what are your parent level SKUs, which are going to be your corporate SKUs? Okay, now this SKU can be manufactured here, can be sold here, can be purchased here. Okay, so you need to accommodate for all of those scenarios. So number one thing, your inventory is going to be shared and the bomb that you are going to have for that specific product is going to have different relationships in different entities. So you need to analyze those and accommodate for those. So it gets very detailed. And by the way, if you don't have these relationships scattered, then your inventory planning is not gonna work. Your inventory allocation is not gonna work. Your SNOP planning is not gonna work. Your demand planning is not gonna work. Your probably scheduling is not gonna work. And then people are going to complain that, you know what, ERP does not work. Yeah, that, uh, that shines a, a big light, I guess. <laughs> a lot of information. I have, I have, I guess, like two questions in my mind. So, you know, going back to that first example, I just want to confirm. So when you have like different sites already established that are dealing, let's say, in slightly different products, maybe have a different um, business value proposition, you yeah. wouldn't have, again, a system at different sites that would then be reconciled at the top. You should be able to find an ERP system that can already support these different businesses, right? 
Like you wouldn't so, compound the problem that we discussed earlier, where it's kind of smaller islands of information that then reconcile into one giant system. So typically ERP decisions are not as binary as this because you have to look at the financial risks as well. So, okay. you know, the scenario that you are describing, we have seen cases where let's say if your subsidiary or the division is going to use completely different ERP system, it's going to be completely isolated. And that could be a temporary arrangement. For example, I'll give you an example and a story as well. For example, let's say if, you, if your parent company bought another company, now they are trying to sell this in five years and they may not have enough funding or the timeline to be able to implement and optimize the ERP system. So what they are going to do is they are going to create a stopgap arrangement where they are simply going to have another ERP, which is not really integrated with the, the parent company, but they don't necessarily care for that integration. So what they are going to do is the output of an ERP always is going to be your financial statements. Okay. So what they are going to do is they are going to take your balance sheet. They are going to take your PL, They are going to take your cash flow statement and they are simply going to submit. Okay, so that's gotcha. how they, they sort of the roll up and consolidate if there is going to be any sort of financial translations. Obviously, they have to do that. But, you know, accountants and the financial people, they are really good at consolidating these things. But operationally, your systems are not really going to be connected. Mm -hmm. And you are going to run into a lot of operational and planning challenges if those two systems are going to be completely isolated. The only thing you are doing is you are simply connecting them financially. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. I guess like uh, giving that example kind of highlights what could be different in a in a various scenario. No, for sure. And on on the growth side, right? To come back to the original question, so let's say you have a single site operation where you do have an ERP, right? Or let's say you've implemented an ERP. I'm assuming that the engagement with the consultants that set it up could be reinitiated or is more like ongoing. If you decide to, let's say like now we're going to expand in a different territory, we're going to open, let's say like three more plants this year, then you can have a conversation of what it's going to take on the ERP side to kind of scale that up. You wouldn't necessarily always pre-plan for that operation until you're maybe ready on the business side, right? Or what does that look like maybe transition? So whenever you are making any sort of business structure changes, my recommendation to everyone is going to be forget the ERP, remove the ERP from the equation. ERP is just a tool. Okay, figure out how you want to architect your business on paper. Okay, that's the first step. And typically, your ERP consultants are not going to be good at that. They are going to be the people who have some more business background, but they need to understand ERP. The major problem that we have in the market is the business people who claim that they are really good at business, they don't really understand how to do these things from the ERP perspective. And ERP people are slightly more technical, uh, even though they might be functional as well, but they don't really have that, that business transformation expertise where they can look at, at the business. Okay, this is your as is business, and this is your to be business, and this is what you need to do to, to be able to get here. Now, it could require, let's say, you might want to replace this system and bring uh, just one system that can handle all of your subsidiaries, depending upon what your priorities are. Or you could have five different systems and you might want to integrate them just because from the business perspective, it makes a lot more sense for them to be isolated than integrating them. So depending upon what your business goals are and business goals need to be on the paper, you need to kick out the ERP first and then figure out, okay, Here's my 2B model. This is what I am trying to accomplish. Now, can my existing ERP help me do that? Can my existing consultant help me do that? 
if the answer is going to be no, then you are you know, better off hiring somebody who has done this transformation and then they can tell you, okay, if you take this approach, this is the problem that you are going to run into. If you take this approach, this is the problem that you are going to run into. There are always going to be trade-offs and you as the business owner need to make the decision uh, based on how much time you have, based on how much money you have in your pockets. Well, <laughs> right. no, that makes a lot of sense. Really, I appreciate the detailed answer. We have a good question, a second good uh, question from Dallas. So he's asking, how do you suggest getting everyone on board in an existing system with a new change? And I want to like, I guess, elaborate just a little bit on that. Like, I think the human aspect to ERP, uh, I'd, I'd really want to hear your perspective, you know, because you said you had to really communicate with the different stakeholders, obviously, when you're implementing, what does that process look like? You know, who do you typically speak with? And I want to get like, you know, maybe some details, because I'm sure, you know, there's the C-suite, there's going to be your VPs, the managers, people who are going to touch the system. But who do you, let's say at the plant level, who do you speak to about these different features? Yeah, so that's going to be a million dollar question. And I don't think anybody has answered to that, to be honest, yeah. because the answer to that is going to be when you are trying to sell something to someone, who do you sell to? Okay, you sell to someone who's willing to buy in case of an ERP. <laughs> well, who do you listen to on the implementation side too? Like, it's so difficult. Like, I don't know. Like, it's... So in case of an ERP, you really need to have the executive who are really committed, okay? Uh, to make that as a success. If you are not going to have an executive, they most likely what is going to happen is the team is actually going to shut down the consultant. They are probably going to shut down the vendors as well because they are more in the vendor customer relationship. So typically the best way to do the changes like sales pitch, okay? I am trying to sell you a dream. Now you need to be willing to buy that dream, okay? Mm -hmm. If you are not really on board, you might have personal priorities. For example, I'll tell you what, okay? You might have a quality manager. He might be retiring, let's say, in next two years. And he's like, I'm already retiring. Why am I going to learn this new system again? <laughs> okay, I'm going to be done from here in next two years, right? So obviously, everybody is going to have their own priorities in terms of, uh, you know, what they are looking for in the organization. But overall, when you look at from the corporation perspective, if everybody really cares for the company, you need to have the organizational goal. And that is going to be, okay, as a company, this is what we are trying to get to. And even if you may be retiring in the next two years, you want to make sure that you are actually getting that bonus before you retire. So if you make that sales pitch, he's going to be slightly excited that I'm retiring, but I mean, it doesn't hurt if I can make uh, some 20%, 30% extra bonus. And again, that's a pure sales pitch, right? You need to align with everybody's resume. You need to align this pitch with everybody's career progression. You need to align this with everybody's, uh, you know, self-interest. The more you align, the, the, the more they will be willing to accept that change. But the accountability has to come from the executive organization. They need to be personally invested to figure out, okay, if something is not working, why it is not working. Go really, really deep as opposed mm -hmm. to saying, you know what, IT, go away. That's not my deal. <laughs> That's an no. interesting perspective. Yeah, I haven't, uh, I guess, thought of uh, incentives, right? Like you mentioned the bonus structure, but obviously um, certain departments might be more incentivized depending on like which modules are included in, in the implementation. And it looks a lot more, let's say, from a quality standpoint, if it helps them do their job easier, but it makes it slightly higher, harder, or at least perceived harder for engineering 
then there's going to be a disbalance of who wants that system and who doesn't want that system. So you do have to manage maybe that pushback or that, uh, I guess, like welcoming uh, from the quality side. But yeah, that's a, that's an interesting perspective. I like that. And and by the way, people are willing to improve. I mean, uh, you know, if you really do a real discovery, okay, so even though they might have their self-interest that, you know what, I don't want to change, but they don't want to change because they don't really understand their own pain points and the benefits that they might be getting. So right. what some of these change consultants do is they do a very deep discovery, okay? And once actually you do the deep discovery, because everybody is going to have pain points, even, uh, you know, if you are doing your job, Dave, um, you know, Vlad, you are doing your job, you all are going to have a lot of pain point, even if it could be, let's say, for two years, that pain point could be substantial overall. So the more discovery that you do, and they all are trying to improve, to be honest, the, the, the major problem that we face from the executive organization or the leadership, they simply try to sell their vision as opposed to understanding the, the people's vision, what they really care for, and then aligning it with the overarching vision. I don't know if I'm making sense here. So if I say that, mm -hmm. you know what, Vlad, this is my dream that I want this podcast to get 200,000 downloads as of today, <laughs> okay? That's my vision. Okay, you don't care for this, okay? Why do, would you care? Because in your case, you are looking to get 200,000 downloads for each of the episodes that you have because this is your podcast. So now if I try to put my vision on you, you are not going to respect that. Um, you know, you might be nice to me that, you know what, I really care for your vision. You know, I'm going to do whatever I can do as long as I'm not losing anything. <laughs> But, you know, everybody has their own self-interest, right? So if you create an interest that is going to be aligned with everybody, for example, let's say if I, you, and Dave can come up with an agreement that, you know what, if the manufacturing hub gets 1,000 uh, downloads, then Sam is going to be benefited by this, Dave is going, going to be benefited by this, Vlad is going to be benefited by this, and then I don't think anybody is going to disagree with that as long as they care for those number of downloads. So mm -hmm. this applies to your, your ERP as well. I mean, everybody has their own problems. They have challenges, they have motivations, and they all uh, you know, want to improve. It's just that you have to align that vision and communicate that. But in general, <laughs> in manufacturing community, uh, it's, it's, it's just hard because in, uh, you know, if you look at the manufacturing organization, they were never good as good at the com internal communication as well mm -hmm. as in sales in my, my experience. And that's why manufacturing is, is always behind. When you look at some of the other industries, uh, your banking, insurance, um, you know, retail, they are always ahead in terms of technology, but manufacturing is always behind because they are not able to sell that vision. No, I, I'd like to I'd like to agree with what Sam was saying, and I liked how you brought it back to talking about the discovery, Sam. So especially in the adoption issue in manufacturing, I've found that if you can find the pain points of the folks on the factory floor and implement a solution that they can see those pain points at least starting to go away and you can get one or two quick wins, then the adoption is going to be much more sped up as opposed to, oh, you know, the leadership team made a decision. They say, I have to do this thing. Those guys never come down to the floor. They don't yeah. know what my job is like. I'm not going to do it because I'm retiring in two years and I've gone through a thousand changes in the last five years and it's just not worth going through it again. They're just going to have to live with whatever I decide to do for the next two years until, uh, until I decide to, uh, to retire. So I think, uh, I think that's a great, uh, th those are great points. And honestly, Sam, as we were talking, I was thinking like, 
man, it, it almost feels like I'm talking, but it's coming out of Sam's voice. Like he, he feels, he feels exactly what is, uh, what, what is going on in my life and most of these conversations. And I probably have like 30 more hours of, uh, of ERP questions to ask you, Sam. And I know, cause we probably talked for 20 hours at some point in the last year. And I, I know we could uh, we know we could talk more, but I want to make sure that we hit some of the other points, especially with what you've been doing over the last year or so, when you kind of alluded to Elevate IQ, like you guys were so busy implementing up until COVID hit to like do any sort of marketing. And yeah. so I got, it seems like in the last year or so, you guys have made up for the previous five or six years of, of marketing by, you know, being always out and in front of people. Can you kind of tell us what, what that experience has been like? To be honest, I mean, you know, when we started this journey, we just didn't know that we wanted to get here. Uh, once we started mm -hmm. doing and we took that iterative approach that you mentioned, and that's how mm -hmm. you need to bring any sort of change in the organization. For us, this has been sort of the change that we were very legacy organization mm -hmm. overall from the sales and marketing perspective, and we need to become the very modern uh, organization. So when we started doing this, I mean, you know, with, due to COVID, what started happening is we were getting our our we were not getting any leads. I don't know, you know, how many people were getting leads, especially if you are in a very expensive business, such mm -hmm. as ERP. I mean, nobody really implements an ERP in, in recession. It, mm -hmm. It's very hard unless, you know, the business is really growing. It's very risky. It's expensive, right? Mm -hmm. So we need to be mindful of that. So we are not getting a lot of new leads. Uh, we were also not getting, we were actually getting our existing contracts killed. Uh, so, you know, the campaigns that we had before, the sales channels that were working for us, they just stopped working. And then we had to figure out, okay, what do we do now? <laughs> because this was a new experience for all of us. I mean, we never had to sort of struggle for work, but now all of a sudden we are struggling as an organization. So we, so when I started doing this journey, I was like, okay, now we have a lot more time at least, okay? Because pre-COVID we were all busy, but now we can focus more on the newer learning new methods of, of marketing. So I started actually writing content, to be honest. I mean, that's how I started. So I wrote the blog, okay? And mm -hmm. I just didn't know whether anybody was going to read or anybody is going to care. I just didn't know whether anybody is going to like whatever we have to say. Uh, so in our case, one of the things that we like to do is we like to go super deep uh, in, in, in topic. So I started following people like Neil Patel, uh, mm -hmm. what he used to preach overall from the content strategy. And this is the approach that I used to take, uh, you know, for the sales as well. So we had a lot of information in our heads, right? We simply wanted to translate that in the written content. So when we started doing the blogs, uh, then, you know, our domain ranking went from what? Like from, from one or zero to like 30 within like three months. And I was like, seriously? And then we were getting all of these leads. Okay, every week, I would say we were getting like one or two leads, mm -hmm. ERP leads. And these are the leads that we had to make so many calls just to get one conversation. And these are the guys that were actually coming to us asking questions about ERP. So we figured that, you know, we were not doing something right. And now whatever we are doing, something is working here. So now what we need to do is we need to figure out, okay. And by the way, MEC, we got attention from some really big influencers. And they said that, you know what? I really like your content. Uh, there was a guy who was like number two CIO and they are like, I really like your content. And I'm like, seriously? <laughs> like, I have no idea what I'm writing. I'm just writing something, but they really like the content because it had the depth. 
it had the reasoning that nobody could really express, to be honest. And in our case, we were like super blunt, super transparent, uh, you know, just pure insight is what we really wanted to do uh, from the content. So that was sort of the validation that no, 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 we were sitting on something that we just didn't know how to commercialize that. So then we started figuring out, okay, now we have the content, but we need to figure out, okay, how to distribute it. Okay. And then I started analyzing my competitors as well, what they were doing differently. Because some of the brands that were really unique in their positioning, the kind of traffic that they had, the brand positioning that they had in the market, they were all doing podcasts. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So that's how we sort of started on podcasts, but we didn't start podcasts because I wanted to be sort of the thought leader. The reason why we started podcasts is because we really wanted to get strong on our SEO position. SEO was always the driver for us. And right now, if you look at our entire content strategy, the way our, our podcast is set up, the kind of content that we discuss in our happy hours, the kind of you know content that we publish on our blog, it's all driven by SEO, okay? So now, you know, once we started doing all of this podcast, blog, oh my goodness, it simply started working. And the kind of attention that we got you know, the, 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 the introductions that we got, you know, from people, from the community, it's just phenomenal. And that just, we, we could just simply kept doing it uh, because, you know, we felt that it was really working. And to be honest, within six months, you were absolutely right. We have done the marketing for last five years and we only want to go faster from here. Uh, because it's really helping us uh, overall in terms of the thought leadership, in terms of uh, the community leadership, in terms of really expressing our ideas, how ERP is supposed to be done, not the way other people, uh, you know, try to commercialize overall in the community. I think ERP has a lot of power uh, overall. Uh, the way community understands the ERP, I don't think they understand it well enough. And our effort is going to be to educate as much as possible. No, that, that, that's amazing, Sam. And so I, I guess I think we all know the answer to this next question. But if anyone is considering starting their own podcast or starting to create content, as long as they're not in the ERP space, would you suggest that they uh, would you suggest that they do so? I would say even if they are in the ERP space, they should probably do it. Okay. Anybody can start the podcast. Podcast has started around a specific content strategy. Okay, everybody is going to have very different content needs. Everybody is going to have very different target customers that they might want to target. And you can be as specific as possible in your content strategy. The more specific you are, the more attention you are going to get from your tribe. Okay, figure out what your tribe really is. It doesn't matter whether you have 5 million followers or five followers. Mm -hmm. What matters is, whether the content is really resonating with those five people that you are trying to target and they really trust you as a thought leader. So again, you could, right now we have like what, 2.5 million podcasts in the market. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we can go up to what, 11 million, 12 million, 20 million. I don't know where we are gonna go. Uh, but the more content that the more education that we promote, I can. I don't think we can ever run out of the, the true quality content. The problem is there is a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. in the market. When you look at the, the quality of the podcast, they don't necessarily have any sort of insight. When I listen to some of these episodes, I mean, they're just dry. They are superficial. Uh, you know, they don't talk about the real challenges that people are struggling on a daily basis. And that's where people are going to say, you know what? Podcast doesn't work. 
YouTube doesn't work. Blog doesn't work. Everything works, okay? As long as you have powerful content like Vlad, then you are going to get 22,000 followers on YouTube. It's all about content. Are you telling me that I cannot just uh, put a PowerPoint slide together and then show it for two hours and talk over it and call it good? Uh, you have 22,000 followers, man. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's... um. <laughs> I appreciate, like, I guess, like, it's really interesting, you know, I've, um, I guess, personal note, you know, I haven't really devised a strategy per se, I've always just created, you know, what I was working on and tried to share the ideas, again, when I was, you know, full-time and at the plant level, really integrating the devices that I talk about, and just, uh, I couldn't find, you know, that information out there, and I think, like, you've mentioned very well that, you know, there's probably either a lot of noise or just not enough right kind of information out there both in the ERP space but I guess like on my side on the like PLC HMI type of uh, information and I think people you know either share very like high level information or yeah. information that doesn't fully resonate with the end users and I think that's the the real edge that uh, people see at least like on my on my side. Exactly. I have had similar experiences, to be honest. Uh, and the only reason why people listen to our podcast is because they find answers to their questions that nobody else is able to provide. They are really thirsty for the real content. Uh, either the content is going to be pure sales pitch or it's going to be really high level. So, <laughs> so if you want to help somebody, okay, if you want to help your customers, how in the genuine and authentic way, the more authentic you are, uh, overall, with your content strategy, the more people are going to trust you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, by the way, I posted a link to your blog as well. I really looked uh, briefly at some of the articles, but I like the long content form, you know, for the articles. It seems to go in detail. So if you are listening and you want to read more on ERP systems, uh, I guess it's going to have a lot more information than we can discuss in an hour. So certainly do uh, take a look and I'll try to learn more as well. Because I did have more questions before uh, before Dave <laughs> shifted the topic, but yeah, it's a it's a very interesting. I mean, again, I think it's a very important part of the business, and there's many layers, there's many complexities, there's many variations. It's different from industry to industry, so there's I'm sure a lot to learn for someone like myself that does need to interface to some degree to an ERP system. Dave, did you have any follow ups? I, I think that we, we have somehow managed to do the thing, uh, Vlad, where we are running close on time. We do have one more question um, from the folks uh, from the folks online, Sam, before we kind of go into the rapid fire question time. Um, so Dallas is asking, you, you know, what you what you're seeing in the market and do you find customers getting away from the just in time model of planning? Has COVID hurt that? And then he was following up saying that that's probably more like the uh, the material resource planning or the MRP uh, segment of the ERP. So, so do you, are you seeing more customers modifying their business processes to hold more stock or to or order things earlier or do you not normally um fall in line to uh do you not normally get into those conversations sam 
So right now, the uh, there is a clear divide overall in the market. I don't think any of our customers have modified their own algorithm, to be honest, uh, with respect to just-in-time. So I don't think just-in-time is actually going away. The buffers might be slightly more uh, overall in storing the inventory than being purely uh, just-in-time. Um, so any of the transformation in the algorithm is going to require a lot more time. And right now, we don't know how the post COVID world is going to mm -hmm. look like. How much buffer do you really need uh, before you don't want to stock too much, you don't want to stock too low. So I think oh, yeah. we are at a point where I don't think any system can help you. Uh, it's going to be extremely chaotic uh, for some time until we get settled. Once we get settled, then we will figure out, okay, whether the just-in-time mode is really going to work. Obviously that is going to work. In fact, I mean, that is probably going to be more prominent. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just that, you know, we need to go through this phase uh, of uncertainty. Once this is done, uh, then we will come back to normal. I don't know if that answers the question. I think it does. I think a, I think a lot of, I mean, the, the whole concept of just-in-time has been, you know, a multi-decade iteration. Yeah. And we got to this point, and I'm not sure many major organizations that have moved to JIT um have are going to decide over the course of a year that they're going to suddenly hold more stock, especially in points in time when they physically can't get the stock or if they can make it, they're selling it and shipping it and, and supply chains are, are just a little bit of a mess. So I think that that absolutely um, does that, that does answer the, the question. I think a lot of it is wait and see. And um, we would also uh, Vlad posted the link to uh, to Sam's blog. I was I was looking uh, earlier today. Sam put out his 114th podcast episode. Um, so if there is not enough long form content for you guys to uh, to go do that, uh, to go read, you guys can listen to 114 podcast episodes with Sam. Um, now, I normally listen to my podcast at three or four X speed. You guys have probably heard how fast Sam talks. Um, it's very difficult to listen to the WBS Rocks podcast at five or six X speed. <laughs> I, I will just uh, put that in there uh, based on personal uh, personal experience. <laughs> But, uh, but, but no, perfect, Sam. So a couple of rapid fire questions uh, for you. Um, so do you have a, a book recommendation or a written piece of content recommendation that you would suggest people come and uh, that, that people take a look at? Here's yeah, my app. So that I listen to every book, so I'm, I'm a little bit behind. But yeah, we've had some really good recommendations from our guests. So we definitely appreciate that. Sorry, yeah, Sam. Honestly speaking, I am definitely very much a book reader, uh, mm -hmm. but I am not able to find as much time as I would like. Uh, one of the books that I recommend to everybody, just because the kind of impact it has had on my personal life is going to be sales book. Okay, I, I would have probably read every single good sales book out there. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay, and one of the books that I really like is going to be Predictable Revenue by Aaron Ross. Okay, he's the guy, and the reason why I like the, this book is because of his own personal journey. So mm -hmm. he actually shifted his career. He used to be an engineer, and which is sort of relevant with this conversation as well, because this is the comment Vlad had made towards the beginning. So he was an engineer. He really wanted to figure out the world of sales. So what he did is he actually took the job as BDR at Salesforce, and he was really frustrated the way people sold. So he created a very unique strategy. And based on that strategy, Salesforce actually became what it is today. Uh, you know, that strategy really worked. 
And what he did as part of the strategy is he used to uh, sort of custom group these customers that he wanted to target. And he used to create the five step email campaign. And then he used to target them at many different stages. So what used to happen is before this, everybody would probably cold call or they would not have a systematic process. In his case, he was always getting these five to six leads that he really needed to be able to meet his numbers. So he basically provided a very systematic model in terms of how you can create predictable revenue. Now for us engineers, okay, or uh, you know, for the consulting community, let's say if you want to know how that can help you, we all are going to be needing help in doing something. For example, let's say if you are building your community, uh, you are trying to get your social media followers, or if you are doing things from the personal branding perspective, whatever you are trying to do, if you can break this slice approach for your goals, okay, where you are trying to get to, uh, and you can take the systematic approach of building the funnel, that can really help in meeting your goals. Oh, oh that's amazing. Recommendation. Really appreciate it, Sam. Yeah, no, awesome. And then Sam, uh, one last question from my side. So I would imagine that everyone who's listened to this knows that you are the ERP expert in almost every single conversation, especially this one. But uh, who is your ideal customer? Who should reach out to you for help? So ideal customer is going to be any sort of, you know, small to medium sized manufacturing businesses mm -hmm. that are really growing. They just don't have the visibility into their processes uh, and they want to decide uh, what they should do with respect to their business processes. Uh, and if they would require an ERP, then we can help. Awesome. Perfect. And as always, uh, if you want to reach out to Sam, there's going to be links that are always posted on the website. There's like a guest section and it's also in the comments for the podcast on whichever platform you're listening to. So it should be in the mm -hmm. description on YouTube as well. So there's going to be ways to reach out to Sam to either him directly on LinkedIn or to his business. No, perfect. Thank you, Sam. Vlad, do you have any other uh, questions before we uh, before we, we say thank you for Sam for giving us six hours worth of uh, things to listen to in 45 minutes? I mean, I, I honestly, like I have more questions, but, uh, you know, since we've moved away from that topic, I, I'm, I'm not going to redirect us back. Uh, like I said, I think this definitely deserves like more conversations. I think personally, I don't see enough content on ERP. And I would definitely would like to see, again, maybe personal requests or advice for you, like, you know, how ERP systems are interfaced with the other layers from like a technical standpoint. What are some of the maybe like watchouts, like I said, like from the MES system, from CMMS, like how does that work? Uh, what should an engineer like expect? So just maybe some ideas for some content. I don't know if you have some pieces on that yet, but uh, I think for me, that would be very interesting. But really appreciate it, Sam. Thank you very much for coming on to the show. Um, I'm sure we'll resume this conversation at uh, at some point. Of course. I had so much fun, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I love your show. Thank, thank you, you Th everyone, thank for you, the Sam. questions as well. Yes, thank you, Sam. Thank you for everyone for watching. We will see everyone.